This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, Session 78. And the quote of the day is from Preston Smiles, who said, Haters are confused admirers. Love them anyway. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers and industry professionals. Information, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with another session of the Drummer's Resource Podcast. And if you want to know the six must-haves to market yourself like a professional musician, head over to drummersresource.com forward slash checklist and download the free checklist that I came up with to help you get on track so you understand the six must-haves if you want to market yourself like a professional musician. The interview that I have today is Stanley Randolph, who is currently on tour with Stevie Wonder and has been playing with Stevie Wonder for years now. And he tells an amazing story of how he came to to play with Stevie. And it's it's a powerful story of networking, and it's a powerful story of of just being a genuine good person, and it leads to amazing things. So I'm going to let Stanley tell the entire story, and we're going to get right into that interview right now. I hope you enjoy it, Mr. Stanley Randolph. Stanley, what's going on, man? Thanks so much for doing yeah. this. I appreciate it. Yo, what's up, Nick? What's going on, man? Thanks. This is, appreciate it. This happened, this happened really, really quickly, man. We, uh, we got, we, little John Roberts was like, hey, you should talk to Stanley. He's on tour with me, and we connected this morning, and now we're doing the interview, which is great. Yeah, that's right. Little John, I got to thank that guy. That guy's so cool. Greatest got to be on the road with. <laughs> so, did you guys know each other prior to prior to working together with Steve? Actually, actually, yeah, man, we met from my hometown. I'm from Memphis. We met um in Memphis, Tennessee. I was playing at this place called Isaac Hayes is when he was back. When he was living back uh like 2005, 2006, maybe. Uh, okay. uh, I met him. He was he was on the road with us. Sheila E with Sisters in the Spirit. Nice. Nice. So yeah, I met him then. He was he was a cool guy then. He's he's a great dude, man. He's been more than uh more than helpful for the for the podcast and you know, connecting me with some different people and just overall supportive, um, which has been great because I've known him I've I've known of him, I should say, for years because I'm from Philly. So he, you know Oh, I, you're from Philly. I am, yeah. Oh, cool. So What's he up? he and uh he and Brian Fraser Moore have been like you know, two heroes of mine, and I've got to know both of them decently through doing this podcast, which has been great. Dope. That's what's up, man. I love Brian Fraser Moore, too. Great drummer. I learned a lot from that guy. He is a, a an amazing drummer, an amazing person, too, man. I've, he right. and I have gotten pretty close lately, so he's uh, yeah, he's definitely an, an amazing on both fronts. Yeah, for sure. So speaking of you coming from Memphis, Tennessee, I always like to get the backstory on where people are from and how they got into playing. So what's your story? Man, my story. I grew up in Memphis. Uh, I pretty much kind of had like the typical story. A young guy um, starting in church, of course. Started playing drums in church when I was like eight years old. Um, yeah, I grew up in high school, middle school, high school, playing in the marching band, all of that. Um, I ended up actually, I ended up being a part of a band um, when I was in high school, I have my friends. It's a band called New Genesis. We're all from Memphis. Mm-hmm. We all grew, pretty much grew up together since middle school. And we, they're really like my, they're genuinely my brothers because I've known them for so long. Right. And um, we started a band together, man. When, we was like, when I was like maybe like the 11th grade, 
something like that. And I'll never, man, I'll never forget we um <laughs> we had a gig in Memphis. It was this thing um, that used to come through Memphis every year called the Mid South Fair. And um, we actually had a band show at the Mid South Fair with our high school, which was I believe Ridgeway High School. Yeah. Ridgeway High School for Memphis. We had a band show there, and we did the band show during the day at the fair. And these people, um, these people who had a booth at the fair, they enjoyed the show so much. They was like, "Man, would you guys be willing to like maybe come back later this night and and do like you know just play at our booth, just you know provide some music?" Nice. And we were like, "Yeah, why not, man? You know, we like <laughs> let's to do play it. Anyway. Yeah, right. let's do it." So we get there. This is this is our first gig. We had no name or anything. We ended up calling ourselves the Stanley Randolph Band. Nice. You're like, that's a good name. That's a, that's a I was like, that's yeah, catchy cool, title. <laughs> yeah, we ended up calling ourselves the Stanley Randolph uh, Band, man. And we played. That was our first gig together. We had um, had like a blue bucket out in front. And people would just walk by and give us tips, man. We made like $500, which was pretty good. What? For, for like some 16-year-olds at a Miss South Fair, man. You know, only playing for like two hours at this booth. So it was it was great. It was the Greatest first gig ever. It was crazy, too, because we all had to fit everything into my friend's car. He had a Mazda 626. <laughs> so we, I don't know how. To, the smallest car day, in the bro, world. <laughs> I don't know how, how we made that possible. We had a drum set, a bass rig, a key, two keyboards, and a guitar player. All this equipment in a car, plus ourselves. <laughs> it's like a clown car. <laughs> Man, it was it was crazy. I still don't understand how to this day how we made that happen. It was it was good though. It was fun. Yeah, and then you made five hundred dollars. You're like, man, hey. this music business is awesome. Yeah, man, we made five hundred dollars, and I was like, okay, you know what? This is something we could do. You're like, people say they don't make money playing music, man. We're this, this is, is easy. <laughs> this is something we could do, man. And and after the, actually after that, man, it kind of just. It kind of just flinged into something big. We ended up getting all types of gigs around town in Memphis. So it was great. You know, it kept going. It was a continuation from, since the Mid-South Fair because we got contacts from other people who were there, um, corporate gigs and stuff like that. So it was, it was, it was a great start. Nice. So now that band, um, so did you guys tour heavily with that band or did you guys mostly stay in the area? Or? Um, actually, bro, it's a great story, man. Um, after we did a lot of work, we, we did a lot of work in Memphis. We played for a, a lot of various artists in Memphis, like um, Isaac Hayes. We played for Isaac Hayes himself. Nice. We did gigs with Al Green. We played for Kirk Whalem. Um, man, I, actually, I remember doing, we did this award show that happens every year in Memphis. It's called the Freedom Awards. And that's where I first met Stevie. Stevie was accepting a, an award there and... We, my band, New Genesis, we were the band, we were the house band. So when Stevie accepted his award, of course, this guy loves music. So he felt like sitting down and playing and doing a few songs. Right. And my and my brother, man, my brother, he's the bass player. Um, his name is Brandon, um, Brandon Brown. He's the bass player, and he knows every Stevie Wonder song ever created in this right. world. <laughs> he knows the history and everything of every song, bro. So like he was. He totally was stoked, and as soon as Stevie would play a song, he was right there and knew exactly what was going on. And we ended up doing our first gig with Stevie, man, when I was like 16 years old. I wonder if Stevie remembers that. I have to remind him of that to see if he remembers that story. <laughs> but yeah, ever since then, um, ever since, after we did a couple of gigs around town, man, we um, actually took a trip to L.A., California, 
um, with this church. We were playing for a church. Actually, Kirk Whalem's brother church is called Olivet. Mm-hmm. Um, we did a we, we we traveled to California with them to visit another church in California. We left Memphis to come to California. So we get to California, man, and we're staying at this hotel in Santa Monica, and we have a day off. So we're just chilling, man. We ended up walking the streets of Santa Monica, the Promenade. This is the area, the Third Street Promenade. We ended up walking I love that Santa area. Monica. Yeah, Santa Monica. Yeah. So we found um, there's a club out there, bro. It's a really nice club called Harvell's. Where's that? Um, Harvell's. It's, it's on Fourth Street. I don't know the cross street, but I, it's in Santa Monica. Though. Okay. It's right by the beach. On Fourth Street. We, yeah. So we we're walking around, walking up and down the street. We hear some music playing, and we see this club, man. It's called Harvell's. We're like 17 years old, and the the security. The security didn't want to let us in, but we kind of had talked them and slipped them a little money, and we told them that we promised we're not going to drink, man. We just kind of want to hear some music. We're not from here. We're from out of town. We're a band, and we kind of just want to hear some music. This is the only club that we hear out here playing music. So security, man, bless his heart, <laughs> he let us in. As soon as we walked in, man, we saw, I'll never forget, we saw Jerry Brown, which in, which is an amazing yeah. drummer. He used, to, he used to play drums for Stevie. Also, we saw Ricky Lawson. Uh, Ricky Lawson was there, and we saw Victor Wooten, which is an amazing bass how, player. How did you? What club is this? This is man. This was 2006. Man, this is in at Club Harville. It's like a you. You found a unicorn. You walked in there, and you're like, man. We saw all of these great musicians, legendary musicians playing in there, bro. We pretty much lost it. So were they all playing or just hanging out? No, they were playing. Well, Jerry Brown was playing. Ricky Lawson did the playing as well. Yeah, they all were playing actually, because Victor Wu was playing too. Um, so yeah, they were. They were just. It was like a jam session, you know, like a, a club jam session that nice. you know these guys hang out at. And we just so happened to stumble across it. And our hotel was literally five minutes down the street. So we talked to these guys, man, and got cool with them. And we was like, man, could we please sit in? We would love to sit in and uh, play with you guys. And they was like, yeah. So we all ran down to the hotel. To get our equipment, you know, to get our, you know, my brother went to get his bass and guitar. And um, my friend Kenneth Scooter Whalem, uh, he was a saxophone player in the band at that time. He went to get his horn. And um, we all came back, man, and they let us come in and sit in. And we played chicken. <laughs> we played the chicken, bro. And they were so blown away at our, at, at our gifts, man, at a young age that um, Ricky, La- Ricky Lawson came to pick us up from the hotel the next day, the next evening, and took us around the whole city of Los Angeles, man, and showed us all of these different clubs. Like what? Yeah, bro, it was amazing. And he told he showed us this club, Cozy's, uh, Cafe Cordiel, mm-hmm. Lava Lee, um, Baked Potato. He literally took us to all of these clubs, and in every club, man, there was some legendary, amazing musician that we've all looked up to playing in each spot. And we was like, whoa, that just speaks we- to what type of person he was, man. Man, yo, he was a great dude, man. He told us so many stories about him and Michael, and and the greatest one of the greatest stories I heard was um, um, Rolex, the company Rolex, showed up to one of Michael Jackson's shows, man, and they tried to give him an endorsement. You know, they tried to give him some watches, mm-hmm. and Michael was like, "Man, you know what? I I don't really wear watches. Uh, I don't want a watch, but you know what? You can give this endorsement to my drummer because he's my timekeeper." So why don't you just give you know Ricky Lawson this Rolex endorsement? <laughs> so I was like, man, that is the coolest thing that ever, is, bro. See, like, that that is cool. That's the coolest thing ever. Michael Jackson gave you, you know, hooked you up with a Rolex endorsement. I'm like, that's great. 
But yeah, he was he was such a great guy, man. You know, bless his soul, bless his heart. Um, so now, yeah. did you continue to be friends with him after that? Oh yeah, after, for sure, for yeah. sure, definitely. I've always been friends with Ricky ever since that day, man. That was the that was the one of the coolest things I've ever experienced from anybody. You know, a lot of you know legendary people that you look up to can tend to be really busy, but this guy took out time out of his day to you know take some young kids around the city to motivate us. You know, and it was right. it was a great experience. Now, do you think that he was an integral part of your success? Yeah, I would say so. Because yeah. if it wasn't for him, man, um, believe it or not, after we had that that interaction with Ricky Lawson, we we went back to Memphis with the church. We went back home, and we were so stoked that we decided to to come back to LA for two to three weeks just to check out the vibe on our own, you know, without the church, just that way we can kind of really get around, have a little bit more freedom. So mm-hmm. we rented just ran a random day, man. We were all sitting in our um, in our van garage, and we were like, man, you no, know, Memphis doesn't have that drive or that thrill like L.A. does, man. We should go out there and visit it again and see if, like, if this is really real. So we just randomly rented a van, bro. It was like, eight of us like we had some other friends come with us because it's five people normally in the band but we had like three extra friends come with us and bro when i say we left that night and drove the full day and got there the next day we drove non-stop we didn't take any breaks everybody just took shifts driving and we just kept going and going we got there probably in 25 hours wow just driving straight straight to california and when we got there um we went around to a lot of different spots and and met a lot of different people. We ended up getting a gig while we was there at this club BB Kings that was in Universal City Walk. I don't mm-hmm. think it's there anymore now, but it was it was a couple of years ago it was there. So we ended up getting a gig there, man, and we played this gig. And um we ended up um playing for this artist Cassette Michelle. She's okay. like a, an RB artist and we ended up playing for her cuz she was having a little CD release or whatever she was having at BB King, so they wanted us to be the band. So we learned her music in a couple of days and did the show with her, and we ended up getting some other gigs, man. And we ended up going back home, which was in in October of 2006. And when we got back home, we checked out the vibe back home, and we decided that if we want to do music professionally, man, we have to go to where the professional people are. Right. Right. So, <laughs> so we. Move all five of us, bro. Moved to California, 2007 in January. Nice, nice. It was it was a, it was the best move, the best decision I've ever made. So i I actually just did a, a two part podcast about moving to a new city and then you know hitting the ground running when you when you got there. So yeah. walk us through what happens once you get to LA. How that like how that leads to the to the Stevie Wonder gig. Like, okay, so yeah, basically um when we moved to LA, man, we uh man, it's a crazy story. Because this we is actually, valuable information for people that are out there now that are thinking, okay, maybe I want to move to LA or maybe I want to move to Nashville or maybe I want to move to New York and how oh, to really yeah. how to really hit the ground running when you get there. Yeah, of course. well, first of all, it was um I'm not going to lie to people, it was totally a hustle and totally a grind, man, cuz we lived in a hotel for 30 days, the mm-hmm. whole month of January. We lived there for pretty much 30 days. And afterwards, we finally ended up getting like a two-bedroom apartment together. And it was like six people living in a two-bedroom. So 
it was it was cool. We ended up um, actually doing a bunch of little gigs here and there. Everybody would have to save the money to help pay for rent and stuff like that. We actually did a lot of free gigs in L.A. too, man, because we, we made sure that we would go out every night to some club or to some spot, man, where there was music going on, where right. we could actually sit in, meet people, make connections with people, um, just become really great friends with, with, with people around town who are, who are working a lot. And by us doing that, we ended up meeting. I remember my first tour in L.A. was with Boys to Men. After, after being in L.A. for about three months and just doing a bunch of free gigs here and there, I met this guy, um, Rex Salas. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's a, a, a great um, MD. He does a lot of work for, he did a lot of work for like TLC, Janet Jackson. Okay. He's actually on tour right now with the Jacksons. Oh, is he? Right. So, yeah, um, I, we met him and he actually used me and my brother to be the drummer and the bass player for Boys to Men. So we did that, me and my brother did that gig off and on for like, you know, a couple of months with Boys to Men. Um, I, I remember we ended up getting, this gig every Thursday and Friday nights at the BB Kings Club in Universal City Walk. So we would play there, and uh, I remember Teddy Campbell, who was a phenomenal drummer. He's with the Ricky Minor Band, mm-hmm. Jay Leno, American Idol. That's that guy's done a lot. Um, he he came to BB Kings. Him his him and his friend Nissan Stewart and Chris Johnson. They all came to BB Kings to like check us out and hear us and whatever. And I got really cool with Teddy, man. Uh, um, he's like a really great mentor. I really look up to that guy. He's like a, a big brother for me. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we got really cool, man, and just actually got to learn each other. Nothing really about about drums and music, man, which what I really respected because, you know, a lot of guys come out and they really were like, man, I want, man, hook me up at work, hook me up at work. But they don't really try to get to know you on a, on a, on a personal level, like just to be cool. Right, right. And I was, I was really just, you know, trying to be cool with this guy because he was a great guy. Period. You know, outside of him being a, a great musician, he was just a great friend. So he randomly one day, bro, called me, um, and was like, "Hey, man, could you meet me at this studio?" It was late at night, like eleven o'clock at night. Could you meet me at this studio, man? I want you to check out some stuff. And I was like, "Yeah, man, for sure." So I get to this studio and it, I'm sitting in the, the lobby. And to the right of me, you know, to the right of me in the lobby, there's like these double doors. And all of a sudden, these double doors open up and walk, walking through the double doors by himself was Stevie Wonder. And I was like, whoa, that's freaking Stevie Wonder that's whoa. just walking into this studio. And I'm like, man, I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. So he walked, Stevie Wonder walks to the back of the studio, and I have no idea like what the studio looks like or, or, or what this place is, because I'm thinking, it, oh, it's just a studio that Teddy's working in. Sure. And there's a lot of people, there's a lot of artists probably back there. So I'm thinking, yeah, cool. So Teddy comes back to the front to the lobby. He was like, yeah, bro, come, you know, come walk with me for a minute. I'm like, cool. So we're walking and we're walking to the back of the studio. And he was like, yeah, man, you know, I've been playing with Stevie for a couple of years, man, but I'm, I'm really busy with Ricky right now. You know, we got some new things coming through. And I'm not going to be able to do this tour with Stevie Wonder, man. I'm trying to see if maybe you're interested. I said, man, <laughs> really? I, 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 I cursed. I was like, man, hell fucking yeah. <laughs> right. Man, yeah, I'm, I want to try it out. So anyway, he takes me to the back, man. As soon as I get to the back, bro, it was unbelievable. It was a room full of all, type, all types of vintage equipment, like 
oh my god, keyboards I've never heard of, drum sets I've never heard of or seen. And I ended up getting on one of Stevie's drum sets, man, and sitting down, and he got on one of his keyboards. And, bro, we sat there. Before we even really talked or had any conversation, we just sat there and jammed for, like, two hours. Were you nervous? Actually, when I first started off, I was very nervous, man. I was very nervous. My hands were sweaty, bro. But the more we played, the more comfortable I got. Mm -hmm. We just kept playing and vibing and vibing, and I got comfortable, man. And then, you know, we, we stopped playing for, like, two hours. Stevie talked to me for a little bit, man, and he was like, man, you're good. You got the gig, man. You know, just, you know, you got the gig. Now, here's the thing. When I got when I got that gig, they gave me an iPod with 300 and something songs in it mm -hmm. and told me to learn as much as I can in a week. Yikes. So here I am. I'm sitting with this iPod. The first thing I did was I called my brother because he knows every Steve Wonder song in the book. So I was like, if anybody can help me learn all of this stuff, he can. So I called my brother and told him about, you know, the gig I got. He was freaking out, like crazy, screaming all over the phone. So I ended up rehearsing and just studying Stevie's music, man, for like a week. And then um, I went out with Stevie, I think it was maybe like June of June or July, probably of 2007, 2008. I can't remember. But yeah. I went out with him and I and I watched a few of the shows with um with Chris Johnson playing the show and with Teddy playing the show, so I can kind of get a feel of how he operates and right. And I did my first show in Atlanta, which was the most scariest show, man, because it was a huge arena in Atlanta, which is all these people. And I, you know, we we didn't rehearse. There was no rehearsals with right. Stevie. He, he doesn't really rehearse. His shows is basically like, you know, learn my music and pretty much kind of know it, and we're gonna jam. You know, that's his, that's his show. So nice. we, I pretty much, man, just had to jump in there and jam. And it was, I was nervous at first, but by the time I get to the second or third show, man, I was comfortable. It was, it was cool. Mm -hmm. Once I got a feel of how it works. But yeah, that's how I got the Stevie gig. Big up, big ups to Teddy Campbell and Chris Johnson. That's awesome, man. That's an awesome yeah, story. Just the fact that he's like, Hey man, can you come here and, uh, can you come just hang out at the studio? and? Uh... Yeah, he didn't even tell me, man. It was totally off guard. And that's that's what I was saying, man. I was just so, you know, it, it made me more comfortable to come to the studio because we were friends, before, you know, more than anything, more than just drummers, you know. It wasn't like he was calling me for a gig. I felt like, oh, this is my homie hitting me up to come to the studio to check out some of his music, man. So I'm like, yeah, let's, I'm, I'll come through, no problem. Yeah. So, you know, it made me feel it made me it made me feel better showing up that way rather than knowing, hey, man, come to the studio to audition for Stevie Wonder. Mm -hmm. Then I would have been totally nervous walking through the door. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, yeah, it was yeah, it was totally, totally cool. That's awesome, man. Uh, you know, I've I've only met Teddy once. Uh, I, I met him last year at NAMM. And uh, yeah. are you do you know Felix Pollard? Yeah, the uh, Felix the Cat. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Great jump, man. Yeah. Let me tell you about Felix. I saw Felix play. <laughs> With uh, Lionel Richie in, uh, where were we? I think uh, somewhere in the Caribbean. I can't remember. I saw him play with Lionel Richie, man. That was my first time meeting him. Amazing drummer, bro. One of the best yeah, shows is. I've seen. He is a, I, he's a monster. I love man. that show. Yeah, he's he, a great drummer. He, he and I played a show together years and years ago in Philly, and uh, we you know, remain friends all these years. And last January we were out and I was hanging out with him. He introduced me to Teddy, but then we, yeah. we went, we went and had lunch with, uh, with Ndugu Chancellor and just like, it was just, Ooh, Ndugu. I just Great sat guy. there and was like, I was like, I, I don't need to talk. I can just, I can just sit here and listen. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, man. Those guys be having so much knowledge, man. They've, they've done more. They've done 
and experienced a lot of more things than, you know, I have, especially at that time. So, yeah, right. I definitely take all the knowledge in, take it all in. Yes, sir. So you're saying that if people are hitting the towns or moving into a new town, the first thing they need to do is just start going out, start networking, start getting to know well, people. Yeah, man, you you gotta you gotta get to know people because you're in a whole you're in a whole new culture, believe it or not. Even though it's still America, it's still a different culture, man. Like the believe it or not, the the drummers, the drummers in Philly have a sound. The drummers in Chicago have a sound. You know, the drummers mm-hmm. in Texas. You know, in every little different city here and there, they all have different sounds. But we're all in America. But it's you know, if you're gonna move to a different city, I would totally suggest, you know. Yeah, getting out and getting to you know meet people, get cool with people. You know, I can tell people to save as much money as they can, but you really, you know, you really can't save. Like, you know, we didn't know. We had no idea. We saved as much money as we could for L.A. And, you know, our money, of course, our money ran out after the two months of us being there, but we pretty much made it happen. It's just like we grinded so much that we, we, we got the money some type of way. So You always it's, figure it's out a way, man. You can't, yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a hustle, man. I've seen a lot of people move to LA and then move back home. It's like you really kind of have to be strong for this lifestyle because you're gonna go through a period where, you know, you're you're grinding because you're you're a new face to everyone. So everyone's mm-hmm. trying to figure out who you are before they really can give you a phone call. Yeah. And you know, you it's know? funny that you say that, and we were just talking about Felix, that years ago I was gonna move to LA and yeah. and he was like, Listen, if you move here, expect the phone not to ring for a yeah, long time for sure. And man. he's like, that's the thing you have to get used to that. Like when you get into town, your phone is not going to ring and it's not going to ring not. for a while, you know, it's not. So you might it's... have to sweep floors or do something in the meantime until you, uh, until you, the calls start coming in. Yeah. It's totally a reset, man. And, and I tell people all the time, you know, just be prepared because when you do get that phone call, you want to totally kill that gig successfully mm-hmm. you know be prepared and, and do whatever you have to do man i learned a lot of that stuff from ricky minor as well who's just a great mentor and you know he would give me I, I ended up filling in for teddy a lot on the ricky minor gig um because just because we were great friends but he would tell me little pieces of advice all the time man you know as far as like just being on time you know if you're right if you're there right on time then you're late but if you're there before ahead of time yep. then you're on time you know my dad and, my dad i've worked for my dad for years and he would always say if you're early you're on time if you're on time you're late and if you're late don't yeah, bother coming for sure yeah if you're late don't even come yeah and, yeah and i've actually look i've made those mistakes to myself man just being a new guy in the industry because of course you think when you're back home you get comfortable because you're always the guy getting the call so you get comfortable with your habits and how you deal with things so i've been that guy before to show up to gigs late with ricky minor and that guy put me right on the spot and it only took once right right. you know it only took one time for me to hear that from you know in front of everyone too in front of the artist or any no anything you know it only took one time and i i got my shit together that's you only need once you know right you know so i would yeah you just you have to expect the phone not to ring you have to get out and meet people man and just and be patient, man, because everybody has their time and everybody has their lane. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I always I tell guys, man, you know, a lot of times they come out to L.A. expecting work, expecting this and that. But I, I would actually if I could do it again, I would totally use that time. Those three to four months that we really wasn't working as much. I would totally use that time to do something productive and creative for me. Stanley mm-hmm. Randolph as the artist, you know, right. um, 
there's so much to do, and you know, now with social media, you can do videos. You know, you can record yourself playing. You can, you know, you can have master classes. You can do anything you want on the internet. You know, mm-hmm. there's all types of ways to make income. It's, it's, it's all really all about having multiple lanes of income, man, to really sustain yourself out there. Right, and so. that, you know, I always tell people that. You not only do you got to be a great player, but you got to be an entrepreneur, man. You got to have yeah. multiple irons in the fire because I think yes. the days of solely touring or you know recording and making tons of money are gone. Oh yeah, bro. You know? I mean, tours tours are not the same. Me being one of the younger guys, really kind of catching the end of it because to be on this Stevie gig and all the other gigs I've done, you know, it's it's been some legendary stuff, and I. I've been blessed to get paid some of the big bucks, you know, what they used to get paid back in the day. But I can get, definitely say I've done some newer gigs, more current artists, and the pay and, and everything is not the same as it used to be. But, you know, right. it's still good exposure. It's still good. You know, it's still good fun. You get to travel the world and, you know, and see stuff. But it's, you know, I tell people, man, pay attention to why, you know, the reason why you're on the gig because, you know, you're you're around a celebrity or you're, you're around a, a person who's successful for a reason. They have some type of work ethic or habit or something that's made them successful to that point. So I would totally, I pay attention to Stevie and all of these people that I work with all the time, man, because they're doing it. They're, right. they're where I want to be. It's a learning experience too. And not exactly. only you're getting paid, you're playing music and you're learning at the same time. Exactly, bro. You're learning totally. So yeah, that's a great way to look at it. I never heard anybody say it that way of, you know, these people who have these long iconic careers, they they're there for a reason. So yeah, pay attention. Of course, yeah, I pay attention, man. Stevie's work ethic, bro. I've I've been on tour with him before. I mean, my, well, my first tour, I thought it was only going to be two months with him, and it ended up turning into be it ended up uh, being six months. Okay, it was crazy. So after those six months of touring, Stevie hired me to come to his studio every day. It was every day for two months. I would be at his studio every day around three or four o'clock. And I would be with this guy every day from four to maybe like seven or eight in the morning. Wow. And he he really, you know, he's blind, bro. He really, you know, he has no sense of time. Like music and music is his entertainment, you know. Right. Music and a cell phone. He has a cell phone and he loves that thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, music and a cell phone. That's like really his main entertainment, you know. And I would watch this guy talk on the phone for an hour. You know, I would take a nap or whatever during those hours. And um, then he would just wake me up and we would, he would be like, yeah, man, I got a new song. Here's the idea. And he would play the idea and then he would play that down. And then I would go in there and record some drums over it. And then he would just start adding and building to it as it goes. But I've, I've been with this guy and, and just to see him work consistently over and over and over. And he has so many songs that the world has never heard that I'm pretty sure I hope that he puts out some of it. But it's so much material out there that, you know, people don't have, they haven't heard. But he has a lot of great music. But it's it's from him continually just working and creating and creating and creating. So tell people all the time, man, just keep going. Don't quit. Don't give up. You know, you got to do other things. I pay attention to how, how he works, how his workflow is. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So you've had, you know, you've had a lot of, of good fortune and, and well-deserved good fortune, but I'm sure that you, there was some pitfalls and some mistakes that oh. you made. So Man, let, yeah. I always like to I always like to hear the mistakes that people made because I want other people to avoid the same mistakes that you made. Well, one thing that I that I've learned, man, is financially, a lot of cats financially, man, when you come to LA, you know, well, I know LA in general, I'm not really sure about other places, but you know, when you come to LA and you see 
the flashing lights and the glitter and the glam and you you're on this gig and you're making all of this money and you see all these girls and all of this stuff, you know, you're spending your money, you're buying new clothes, doing this and doing that. I've did that and made that mistake, man. I would tell every guy to save your money. If you're going to do anything, take that money and invest it into yourself. You know, take that money and invest it into your own thing, whatever it is that you're going to do as an artist or as a whatever, you know, whatever your dream is to do and put that money into your dream. I feel like, you know, you have to, you, it takes money to make money. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? If mm-hmm. you're going to be on, you're on this, you're on this gig traveling the world and you're making all of this money and everything. I would tell every musician out there, save your money and invest it into yourself because, you know, material things. Yeah. You know, you, you should get something here and there, but don't get too caught up in the flashiness because I've done that before. I've been the guy with a Stevie Wonder gig and I had all of this money. And then, you know, Stevie decides to take a break for a couple of months and right. there's there's no other gigs coming, no other big gigs anyway. It'll be a little bunch of small gigs here and there, but they're not enough to sustain you. I've been that guy who who's took my money and splurged it and then before I know it, a couple of months go by and my money is getting low and I'm like, oh shit. I'm Hopefully gonna we're going on rent. tour, right. Yeah, you know, how am I going to pay my money or are we going out of town soon or what? You know, I've, I've been there, dudes. I've been... Laid on my rent before two months, man. But and I've made that mistake and I've learned from it. If I would tell anybody anything now, I would say, man, take your money, save it, and, and invest it into yourself to where you can you can be your own boss. You know, you're your right, own right, boss. Right. Make your own rules. You know, it's funny that you say that about handling money. I remember, I'm not going to name names, but I heard a story of a drummer who was on tour with a big act. He was getting paid $17,000 a week. Ooh, wow. And at, the, and at the end of the week, he was always like, he was always broke or owed somebody money yeah. on tour on and, tour and one time he sold his kit on he had two kits on tour and he had to sell one of them because he didn't have any money <laughs> wow yeah that's that's that's, that's on a whole nother level <laughs> that's on a whole nother level yeah that's yeah man i i tell i tell a lot of young cats or you know other cats that move in town man because they they see the lifestyles that we live and and everything and they think that it, that it's about that and it's really not you know what they don't know is what I did behind the scenes to to get to that point you know I saved a lot of my money and I invested into myself and I'm where I, I have other lanes of income as well so yes yeah, so I can afford this and live that lifestyle but a right. lot of cats you know they just get caught up in what they see and mm-hmm. they just think oh man when I get this gig I'm gonna get the endorsements and the money and the shoes and the, glasses and the girls and the cars and, and this, you know you, you can have that but you know your money will run out short i mean very fast right 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 you know so you mentioned some of the stuff that you do behind the scene so what's your what's your practice routine like or what was your practice routine coming up because i think the the biggest thing is is not you know or the biggest questions that i think everybody has is not like how do you play a rudiment you know what i mean that's not they're like how do you develop that feel how do you develop that sense of time all that intangible stuff that you can't learn out of a book right what well, basically man i had to i had to step away from practicing because for a second i practice a little bit i have let me see let me how can i say this i have a season every year that i practice pretty much at the beginning of the year i'll do a lot of practicing Mm-hmm. And maybe like closer to spring or summer, I'll stop practicing because I tend to get too technical. Right. You know, I get too technical about what I'm doing and I'm thinking too much. And a lot of drummers that I that I pay attention to, man, 
they were amazing drummers because of how they felt, you know, mm -hmm. the feeling of their groove and the sound of their drums. And I'm, I'm more into that now. So I, I really focus more on that. I listen to a lot of music, a lot of different records. And I'm a producer as well. So when I approach the drums now, I'm, a pro I'm approaching the drums from a producer standpoint, as if like I'm creating a record right. or, you know, or this is an album and I'm trying to be as authentic as possible, you know, trying to sound close to the album or whatever, or whatever that genre or that age, whatever that time was. Um, I, I tell a lot of guys, man, it's, it's very great. To, it's, it's good to practice. And if you're going to practice, I would recommend that you practice alone. I, I, I'm not against shedding or anything. I love shedding. I think that's a great thing to do. But I, I think a lot of cats get shedding confused with practice, you know. Right. I would totally practice. And when I would practice, man, I would practice with me. Actually, just I would practice on my timing. I wasn't really practicing on licks and fills and all that stuff. I would practice on timing and doing different drum rhythms or stuff. No, different different stuff. Nothing that you're gonna hear every day. Right. I would tell drummers, man, you know, because um, they when they shed, they tend to all sound the same because you guys are doing the same licks or you're pulling the same licks from each other or this or that. So. There's a lot of drummers out there who all sound the same. And I'm like, you know, if you want to, one easier way to get the gig is to be able to stand out and still feel good. Mm -hmm. And a lot of, a lot of drummers, they all, yeah, they all sound the same, even though they're, they're great drummers, they can do all of the 32nd notes, 64th notes, whatever they can do it all, but you're not going to get the gig because you sound like the next man. Right. You know, you know, um, yeah. So I don't, I don't practice as much. And I know a lot of people when they when I tell them that they're like, "What? Are you serious?" And I was like, "Yeah, man, I'm more of a I'm, I'm more of a feeling guy, man. I like to listen to music, man, and respect it, and and feel it. I like to feel it so that way I can take that energy on stage and put it out there. And it, I feel like when I don't practice as much, I get on stage and I don't think about what I'm doing. It just comes out, you know. Right, right, right. And that's you know, it it, it reminds me of the the uh the jeff beccaro stuff where he's oh, like yeah. man i don't i don't ever remember doing a drum solo you know that's what he said in one of the interviews he was like i don't like them and i just i just want to play music yeah you know, i just want to play I musically and play songs that's it you know exactly and, man and, yeah I, I do see it too especially like with the with drummers coming out of Philly because there's a huge church influence so that everybody's it's all chops it's like yeah it's like that's cool, man, but like, no, Stevie Wonder's not gonna hire you to do that. No, he's you not, know? bro, not at all. <laughs> and one thing, one thing I was telling, I, one one thing I say to guys is, man, when I grew up, when I grew up as a younger drummer, a younger guy, and listening to music, man, like one thing I could say, I could tell the difference between Dennis Chambers, Dave Wucko, Vinnie Caliuta, Steve Gadd, um, Simon Phillips, Jeff Picard, I could tell the difference between all of them because of the feel mm -hmm. and the sound of the drums, like the tuning of the drums. They had a sound. So you knew it was that person playing this record or that record or this, whatever. Because I wasn't really a guy who was really into credits, like looking up the credits and knowing who did this or who did that. My brother was totally all over that, but I wasn't that guy. But, so I, but I knew that I, when I heard this drum set or when I heard this lick or heard this feel or whatever that it was that drummer because right. of their sound. And, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure those guys did the same thing. Like, they, they paid attention to feel and sound of, of the guys that they studied. Right, right, right. So, yeah, that's what I tell guys today, man. Just listen, listen, listen to the music, man, because 
it'll help it'll help you longer in the long run if you listen to the music because you're not only listening to the drummer you listen to the whole band right it's, you right. know there's more than just and you drums start to learn there. how to play with other people in the band and yeah exactly what what Brian Fraser Moore always says you, you are what you eat he's like you are what you listen to man so if you're listening to all these great players yeah you know Brian Fraser Moore did a really great thing for me my first week moving to LA literally like January 5th through the 8th when we first moved there, man, I got in touch with Brian Frazier from MySpace mm-hmm. when it was popping back in the day, and and um, he let uh, he let me and my my band we came to his rehearsal. He was playing for Christian Aguilera, and he let me and my band come to the rehearsal for like three days. So we got actually got a chance to go to the rehearsal and and watch these guys operate. Really? And yeah, it, it was the it was. The best thing ever, bro. It totally opened up my eyes to just how a show is supposed to be performed. Mm-hmm. Because Brian Frazier is totally an amazing drummer. He can go to the left on you whenever he wants. Right. But to, but to hear this guy have this huge drum set, to see him have this huge drum set, and to hear him play it, and he's not using everything the whole time. It's like this side is for one song, and this side is for a certain reason, and this side is for right, a certain right. reason. To actually see him put it to use, and they're playing songs that have that has different sounds, and you know he's he'll sneak in like a little trick here and there, but it was basically for the most part he was playing the record, and it mm-hmm. sounded great because you have a whole stage. They had like six horns and two guitars and a keyboard and a bass player and these background singers and Pro Tools playing. So it's like all of this stuff is going on. It's like there's really no room for you to be chopping everywhere. Right. Right. So. Right. Actually, watching him, man, on that whole professional level when we first got to L.A. really, really, really helped me out in my career because it gave me an idea of of how to approach these gigs or, you know, whatever work I get. You know, this is the way you should approach it. Pay sure. attention and listen. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was a great experience with that guy. Speaking of having a lot of drums, uh, when I was talking to Lil John the other day, he was saying that you have, like, a crazy setup with Stevie. You have, like, two drums in one. Or- yeah, what I'm doing is um, since um, since I've been with Stevie, man, the whole time I've been with Stevie, I've just been using the same setup, and and I love that setup. But since we're doing this tour, it's called you know the songs in the key of life, man. And Greg Fillinganes is on, you know, is the MD of this tour, so everything, all the music is very authentic. Like we're playing it exactly like the record to the T, like. They're using every instrument. We even have we have some vintage instruments with us on the road. They're using instruments that Stevie used back in the day. Mm-hmm. So everything is like the record, man. So I created, I created this side kit to my left because from actually being in the studio with Stevie all the time and seeing how his drums sound and how they're set up and how he recorded this stuff. So I created a kit on the left that that's basically identical to how he sounded back then in the seventies. Right. So I have that kit to the left, and I also have a kit to the right, which is pretty much kind of just a normal standard setup that I would normally use with Stevie if it was just be me by myself. Mm-hmm. But since it's me and Little John, and Little John has his kit sound, you know, kind of, you know, it sounds basically like the '70s as well. So since he's doing that, a lot of songs that we play at the same time because both of our kits are pretty similar sounding, like to the '70s. I will play the normal sounding kit so that way it'll give it a little different sound. So you know, he'll have the '70s feel, and I'll have a more current feel of today. 
So and normally well, when I play the other songs by myself, then I'll use the 70s kit, you know, by myself pretty much. I got you. But yeah, it's, it's a it's a great setup. It's something new I did. Um, my friend Chris, uh, Chris Pat Bounds helped me put it together. So I, I'm, I'm actually excited about this kit. I think it's going to be a setup that I use for a couple of years, you know, and I'm, you know, add something to it here and there. But I think I'm going to stick with it for a minute because I like I like having two kits in one so I can totally, you know, go whichever way I want to go. I got you. But now, so, but like half the time you got to do the, everything in reverse, right? Actually, no. Um, the way I have it set up, the left-handed, the left-handed side, um, I used to, believe it or not, bro, I used to play at this church and I used to set up the whole kit on some, I mean, at my church, I used to set up the whole kit left-handed anyways, okay. just to challenge myself. Right. So I'm kind of used to playing left-handed. Mm-hmm. So setting the kid up, you no know, left-handed on the on, on the left-hand side was kind of really no problem. It is it is reverse, but at the same time, it's not because I'm still using the kick drum and the hi hat normal. I have a I have a um, what is it a remote hi hat that right. sits right over the kick drum. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm basically just playing open-handed and with my tongue to the left. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, I got you. So it's actually it's pretty it's pretty easy, man. If people were to sit down on it, they would. It will totally be comfortable. The only thing that would probably be a challenge is doing your fills left-handed, you no, know, to the left instead of you going to the right. So. Right, right, right. All right, so I got you. Got to do me a favor. You're playing tonight, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Can you send me like a? Can you send me a picture or like a 10 second video of your of your drum set? Oh yeah, for sure. I want to do that today. I want to see it and then I'll, I'll post it on the page so that everybody can see it. Dope, for sure, bro. Yeah, because yeah. I'm gonna see what I'm gonna see what it looks like, and then I'm sure the listeners are curious to see what it looks like too. So yeah, for sure, man. I'll, I'll definitely do that. You nice. guys, are, it's 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 a simple setup. It's really easy. Cool. It's cool. So speaking of the listeners, what advice do you have uh, for for upcoming drummers that are that are trying to make it now? And what's one piece of if you could give them one piece of advice, what would it be? I would say, man. I would say, listen. I would say listen to music and listen to the people that you're playing with. Listen to what's going on around you. That's my biggest thing. I play more than one instrument. So um, when I'm actually on the drums, I feel like I'm really having an out-of-body experience. Like I'm actually watching the band play. So when I'm playing, I'm not really paying attention to myself play. I'm just feeling it, and I'm actually listening to the keyboard player, or I'm listening to the guitar player, or I'm listening to the singer to see how they're singing stuff, to, you know, to make sure I can, you know, if I want to catch some accents or catch this and that, um, I'm able to catch it. And that's what I, I would tell, that's what I would tell someone, you know, listen, man, that's the biggest thing. A lot of cats I see who gets on the, who, who play drums and do shows now, it's all about them. You know, they're looking for every second where they can just, chop or go ham or do whatever right and right. It's, it's not really about that it's more about it's more about making people dance and feel good I, I'm, I'm such a big i'm like i love that I, after traveling the world man and going to different clubs and different places man and seeing how people respond to music and how they really want to dance and they want to be happy and believe it or not the beat you know there's a reason why people go to clubs and and techno music or house music or or any type of music that's so simple, why people would dance to it and they lo- they lose their mind? It's because the vibration of it and the beat is just so simple. It's something that they can understand. I you know. Of course, to the musician, man, 
there's 64,000 notes going on in our head all the time. Right. The, <laughs> Especially the, drummers. Right, you know. We're like, how can I, person, what can I play next? <laughs> yeah, to the normal person, man, they don't really care. They don't care, you know, until you until it's your time to shine, until it's really like, yo, Stanley Randolph, solo. And it's all about you, like everybody else quits and the sound is all about you. Yeah, go ahead and do something magnificent. Right. You know, flashy or whatever, but... When it's everybody together, man, it's really about you just holding that beat down and that vibration, man, making people want to dance or whatever, man. Because music is an emotional thing, man. People go to music for all types of things, you know? It's funny that you say that about about people wanting to chop it up. And I'm sure the listeners are like, oh, man, he's going to tell this story again. But I got to tell you this story real quick. I'm at the, <laughs> um, at the piano bar in Hollywood. Yeah. And there's a... a whole band playing and the drummer's killing, right? And uh, then they get to the solo sections. I'm like, man, he's not going to like chop over everybody's solos, right? So the bass player plays and the whole time he's like, right? Guitar player plays, piano player plays. And the whole time he's just like chopping, chopping, chopping. Amazing chops, right? Yeah. So then they get to him and they're like, give the drummer some. And I'm like, man, the drummer's already had way too much. Right. So then he does his whole solo and... I mean, the place was packed and like three people clapped and they were like, oh. uh, you know, but if he broke all that stuff out it, during his solo and was playing in the groove, people, Man. people would have went crazy. So, yeah, it's all about, it's all about the element of surprise, man. Yep. And then you know? right after he plays, Kahari Parker comes up or he's, uh. he's there. Right. And they're like, oh, Kahari Parker. Hey man, can you sit in? He's like, sure. He gets in, he sits down and lays down just this groove that is yeah. like so this this pocket was like everybody in the club could have got inside the pocket. It was so big, right? Yeah, it was breath of fresh air, I'm sure. And then he <laughs> solos and people lose their minds. Yeah. Right? And I, I think that chops wise, they were probably on the same level, but you know, his sense of groove was so much better. And it's like it's like a totally different ball game, man, because he's listening and not chopping, and he's just playing the music, you know. Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's an element element of surprise, man. That's what I call it, man. Because when you play grooves, when you when you play the music, and you know you get your time to shine, man. Any little thing, believe it or not, any little thing will make you know make the audience be like, wow, because they've been listening to you. That believe it or not, they're so caught up in your groove, they don't even know it because right. it's just there. You know, they're mm-hmm. so caught up in your groove that when you actually do step away from the groove to do something magnificent, they're like, wow, yep, that was amazing. I didn't even know that guy could do that. I didn't even know that that was there, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of a lot of cats, they, they forget about that. Right. They never was, forget about that. There was a guy that used to sub for me that uh, admittedly he had better chops than me, you know, but like mm-hmm. he never grooved. And so like I've heard some of the, the recordings of him playing and it was like, it was just like the whole thing. And then after like, after the first song, second song, you're like, man, we've already heard everything that you can do. And exactly. Now it's just exactly. boring for everybody. You know, exactly. now you're just showing off. Yeah. Now you're just showing off, man. We've already heard all of this. You've been doing it all night. Right. Right. Exactly. So now do you teach, uh, do you teach privately in LA or no? Um, no, because I really don't have the time. A lot of times, man, as soon as I get back home to LA, um, I'm a producer. Okay. You know, I'm really, I'm really only a drummer when I get it, when I really go on tour. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I'm back home, man, I'm, I'm a producer. I have a studio I work out of, and you know, me and my friends, we working on different records and different projects here and there. It. So, 
I'm more, I'm more, yeah, I'm more of a producer when I'm when I'm back home. So I don't really do a lot of lessons as much. Mm-hmm. But I have some friends that I know who who you know who are great players that that do lessons. So I always refer people to him. I got totally, you. So I got you. So where can the listeners go if they want to hear more about you or connect with you on online? So um, I have a new um, management. Um, I'm, I'm working with this new management team. It's uh, G. Allen Management Firm. Um, he's a, this is a great guy. It's a guy named Gary that I've, I've known for years. He's uh, actually helping me out with some stuff in my career. So he's going to actually be doing a lot of – he's, he's uh, putting up a website for me. So there will be a website pretty soon. But right now I've been re- pretty much just telling everybody stuff, you know, from my Instagram and my Twitter – and when the website is up and running, I'm going to put everything from videos, photos. I might even do some lessons on my website because it would be easier for me to record some stuff right. in my studio and then put it up, you know. I got you. Um, so, yeah, but between him between you know, him and the website, I'm, you know, Instagram and Twitter, stuff like that. You know, my name Stanley Randolph. Stanley Randolph, that's, that's my Twitter and that's my Instagram. So it's easy to find me Okay. on there. Well, cool, man. And all the listeners out there, be sure to hop on online and uh, and thank Stanley for doing this. And I thank you, man. This was this was great. It was awesome. I'm glad we got connected this quickly, man. I got to thank yeah. John and and uh, it was a it was definitely a pleasure talking to you, man. And congratulations on all the success that you've been having and on this tour. And I wish you nothing but the best in the future as well, man. Thanks, bro. Thank you pretty much. Thank you a lot, bro. Absolutely. When I'm in, I'll uh, I'll I'll get in touch with you when I'll be in L.A. Uh, in January for a few weeks. So. Oh, cool! Yeah, hit me up. You got my number. Hit me up, bro. I definitely. Will. You gotta come check out. You gotta come check out some spots in Hollywood, man. Some really dope um, jam session spots in Hollywood that we do like on Monday nights and Wednesday nights and stuff. So I'm in. Yeah, you'll love it. You'll love it for sure. Definitely. All right. Well, again, man, thank you so much. Uh, I appreciate it. Safe travels on the road, and uh, and I'll be I'll be talking to you soon. All right, bro. Thanks, man. All right. Thank you. All right. See you. There you have it, Mr. Stanley Randolph, and I think that's such an awesome story. Not only how he got the Stevie gig, but how all of his, all the people that he idolized and all of his mentors sh- just showed him around L.A. Um, you know the the Ricky Lawson story and and with Brian Fraser Moore and all that, and that just speaks to the volume of the the brotherhood of of drummers. And I love spreading that word out to everybody to help other people out and show people around. And if they're new to the town or, you know, if, if they're not sure exactly which direction to go and you've already been there to help them out. So it's a really awesome story to hear that strong brotherhood, especially in such a competitive area like Los Angeles. So it really, really made my day to hear that story. And, you know, I never met Ricky, but I know Brian and uh, he's just an amazing dude. So it's, I, I can definitely speak to the character of, of him at least. And, it's just great to hear that 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 uh, willingness to help is alive and well in L.A. So that's pretty that's pretty cool. If you want to check out the six must haves uh, to market yourself as a professional musician, head over to drummersresource.com forward slash checklist and you can download the free checklist that I came up with just to help you kind of get your ducks in a row and, and figure out exactly what you need if you really want to market yourself like a pro drummersresource.com forward slash checklist. Check out drummersresource.com, facebook.com forward slash drummersresource, Twitter at drummersrsource, and I'm on Instagram 
at Drummer's Resource. And until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate it, and I'll be talking to you soon. Peace. Peace.